0: what i'm talking about wait okay now from the beginning
1: hit it boys well my friend matt hudson how are you welcome to market matters i'm doing fantastic thanks adam nice to see you today you too bud you know we're uh kicking off the latest market matters here it has been such a kind of headline period there's been so many headlines since the last time
0: yeah
1: and it seems like it's really worth kind of diving into some of the important statistics that are happening and i want to ask you about those but as we get started we always want to make sure that this podcast is really just useful to people who are trying to make decisions about buying or selling a home in colorado today and so in order to make that really fruitful i just want to help people reframe kind of the construct that we've been giving We're sort of at this intersection in the economy there's a sense in which i think in in past episodes you and i've talked about kind of throwing a baseball up in the air and at one point that baseball's going up at another point it's going down but there's a moment where it's not going anywhere it just sits in inertia and this market continues to be that i think the way you and i have described it is sort of the unstoppable force hits the immovable object and those two things really we don't have that figured out yet Created a super volatile week on the bond market, which I want to talk about, and creates, I think, some really good, useful insights for home buyers and sellers today and for the agents that are helping those folks out. But before we get into that, I'm always just eager to kind of hear what's happening exactly in the real estate market. So you're, you're kind of a stats guru, you've been loving these stats for 20 years dive in a little bit and tell us kind of what's caught
0: your eye lately. What, what do we need to know? What's interesting? Well, first when you say, I've been loving these stats for 20 years, makes me realize how long I've actually been doing this. And my wife did point to how gray my beard is getting. Yeah. So I shaved it. Join the club. Yeah, I know. I got, uh, I got a lot of sugar cane coming in too. My wife calls it sugar cane. Oh, that's way more endearing than what my wife calls mine. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the The kind of boring part of this is that the market's doing exactly what we have said it's going to do. Right. Um, it's but but the the interesting thing. I did a deep dive analysis actually just Sunday of this week, and I started looking at um, the you know the last fifteen years of the marketplace, and then deep dive analysis on the last few years. And ultimately what it concluded was that we are back into a balanced marketplace. Last year was a recovery. Yeah, last year was a was a, a an emotional and financial rebound um, or adjustment period of time for home buyers and sellers. Mm-hmm. Interest rates went from 3% to 7% in a six and a half, seven month period of time. It was a, it was a really hard market for people to wrap their heads around. We didn't yeah. know where it was going and it and it really took that period of time and even a bit into this year, I think for people to emotionally adjust. And then financially, I think that we've seen similar um, people kind of wrapping their head around intellectually, how to approach this marketplace, mm-hmm. you know, as you and I have said for quite some time now, maybe the better part of a couple of years that we're moving into a phase where the market is really driven by need, not by discretionary purchases. And so we have sellers and buyers who are engaging in the marketplace as a result of babies, deaths, divorces, marriages, job changes. Those are the primary movers in the market. And, And as a result of that, and I think it just bears reiterating, what we're seeing is a market volume that is one incredibly low um, and it's incredibly low because we have so many home sellers. Now, home when you owners. say
1: volume, just to translate that for people, yeah. you mean the number of homes bought or sold Correct is the lowest number of homes bought or sold statistically really ever.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. So it, we we actually are a little bit, we've sold a few more homes this year than what we did in, say, 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. But our population has increased by almost a million people in the Denver MSA. That's right. So, relative to population size, hands down, unquestionably the lowest volume, yep. the lowest number of transactions that we've seen. So, all that said, all the conditions that we thought were going to be playing out are playing out. And that, that immovable object that you referenced is the 3% interest rate that a home seller has, or a homeowner has, uh, on, on their current home. And they don't want to give that thing up. They don't want to give up the payment. Yeah. And so what we're seeing is the entire market is driven by what we anticipated, which is, um, life circumstances. And the good news is I believe with a million more people in the market and seeing the lowest volume of transactions that we've ever seen, relative to population size. And we still have that immovable object of those really low interest rates. I think what that means for 2024 is volume or inventory is going to remain pretty low. Mm -hmm. We've seen a sustained level of buyer activity so far this year, which means you know, that economic principle of supply and demand, supply has been low, demand has been low, but they've been balanced and it's mm-hmm. still driven prices up. Yeah. So um, we still have a strong marketplace and we're still, we're seeing strong activity. In fact, we saw the number of uh, new homes that hit the market and the number of properties under contract actually outpaced 2022 mm-hmm. for the first time this year. I think this is huge because the, really the stories over the last couple of years has been
1: mostly doom and gloom. You know, you look out in the marketplace, you look at the talking heads that talk about real estate, you know, you just look at this in social media or YouTube or somewhere else. People are talking about an imminent real estate crash since about 2020 and they continue to talk about it. Here we are at the end of 2023. I see the rhetoric continuing to grow and I understand why folks are saying that. I think what they're missing about how real estate works today is the immovable object. Mm -hmm. Every market before this has been a market that that experienced – or any market, I should say, that experienced a real estate crash. What do I mean by crash? I mean a retrace of value at least 15% or greater. Anytime you've ever seen 15% or greater, it was happening because people were having trouble making payments. Well, now with 80% of the market, and it's maybe not quite 80, but um, certainly it's 80 that are at 5% or less, but some massive percentage of the market is actually at 4% or less. I believe the number is 72%. Um, That keeps so many people comfortable in their payment. It's almost impossible for them to lose that payment because they don't have a better choice. There's not anywhere. They can't vacate and go find a better payment anywhere in the marketplace. So because of that phenomenon that tends to hold people in their homes just as you said I think what's remarkable about the sto- the story if we were to kind of have some scales in front of us and the good stories on one side and the bad stories on the other I think most people would say the bad stories outweigh the good stories and that's true. We do see things like political turmoil and class struggle and interest – unprecedented interest rate moves and liquidity crises and bank failures and the potential for World War III. All these things are over on the bad side. What is on the good side that's keeping us chopping sideways? I think it's the consumer. The consumer throughout this economy has remained incredibly resilient. And I just don't think people have really ever had a background where they've been able to look at consumers' asset values and understand that as a result of the savings, the investment uh, benefits, the uh, home value, the current low payment if they're a homeowner, all these things coming together are keeping the consumer buoyed. And that is really what's sort of describing – why we haven't seen these shoes drop yet. It's the one sector of the economy that remains hopeful. I think we should talk about that. Maybe we'll get to to the end, but I'm interested to know just as you're sort of perusing, um, uh, statistics and or movements in the graphs, is there anything else you think just the average consumer should be aware of anything
0: useful? Yeah. I mean, I think as I think about buyers and sellers in the market right now, yeah. Um, and we have had a big move in the bond market this week, which means there has been a pretty significant drop in uh, in buyer interest rates, yes. mortgage interest rates. I think we should go into that. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I think that's, a, that's a, a huge thing for people to know that we're watching on a day by day, hour by hour yeah. basis. And we're also looking at what are the fundamental principles that are driving that. Um, and by the way, there is a segment of the market that is predicting that by sometime next spring, interest rates are in, you know, some in the fours. Yeah. Um, I, and that's fine. I, I, we don't want people making decisions based on those f- potential future interest rates. We really want to protect people and serve them well by helping them understand that they might be, but they might not. And you mm-hmm. need to make a decision today based on they're never going to be. And if they are great, you're going to win in a lot of ways. And we can reiterate some of that stuff. I think, uh, for buyer and seller today, I mean, here we are November 3rd, I think it's the third, November 3rd. And, um, you know, we're coming into a time of year where, uh, the number of properties that are coming to market are reducing fairly substantially. The number of buyers that are in the market, yeah. um, it seems to, um, uh, seems to typically reduce fairly substantially, which happens every November. It happens every single year. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing that I found in doing the analysis over the last couple of weeks is that, um, You can just see a historical pattern of tremendous resilience of those sellers and of those buyers. Mm -hmm. Now, what we see this time of year, every year, and it starts about June or July, every year is a beginning of a decline of the average sales price of a home. Yeah. And, um, and every year, you know, I've done the analysis back 15 years and for the longest time I thought is that because smaller homes are selling people with families that don't want to be selling over the holidays. it's condos Mm. and lofts and townhouses and that sort of thing. That's actually not true. Um, the same size homes are actually selling, but what we actually see is overall a typical, typical decline of value we have not seen that much of a decline of value. It's only, we're only off about one and a half percent from this year's high. Um, and that's not typical. No. So to me, what it's demonstrating is that there is a tremendous resilience of the number of buyers uh, in the marketplace that is keeping those values up yeah. uh, as opposed to even seeing some of the typical decline. Now that said, I think there's a breaking point. And that breaking point is we've got the holidays coming, Um, there's going to be fewer buyers in the market. Sellers are going to want to sell. We're seeing uh, record high concessions, seller concessions, which simply means a seller is negotiating into a contract, something like buying down the rate for a buyer or buying them a new furnace or a new washer and dryer or whatever. Uh, There's there's all kinds of factors that contribute to seller concessions, but we're seeing record high seller concessions right now, which is demonstrating that sellers Are really wanting to sell and willing to negotiate with buyers. So I think the guidance that I would give to sellers is that rather than reducing your price necessarily as the next move, Mm -hmm. what you might do is make sure that uh, you're promoting the property that incentivizes a buyer to come in because you're willing to contribute to reducing their payment. Mm-hmm. Because as you and I have talked about for a long time, people are consuming real estate one based on lifestyle, based on the the life that they dream of living or the life that they need to live. But the other is based on payment. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the longest time, you know, there was this kind of threshold in people's minds of I'm not worthy of an X dollar value home. And the reality is when you think about your monthly budget, what you're really focused on is how much can I afford on a monthly basis? And um, separate from that is, am I worthy of living in a million dollar home or a $2 million mm. home or a $500,000 home? So sellers have an opportunity to be positioning themselves and telling the story a little bit to prospective buyers and offering and negotiating with them to incentivize them to come to their property by helping them buy down the, the interest rate in particular that, um, helps the buyer simply have a lower payment for the term. Mm. um, and the other side of that, I think, is that buyers should know that uh, there are plenty of sellers in the market. Our inventory is only slightly higher than what it was this time last year, which is the highest that we've seen in the last five years. And um, that sellers are pretty motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a buyer in this market right now and you can afford to buy and you got some money in reserve and you can afford the, your payments based on where interest rates are today. You got some really strong negotiating power. I've heard of, you know, our, our team, our agents helping buyers negotiate 50, 60, $70,000 off of uh, asking prices mm. on homes that weren't necessarily overpriced. So I, I think there's such
1: a powerful piece, a, a tool piece of information in what you just shared. And I want to kind of reiterate it. I want to draw it back out a little bit so that our, our consumers and our home buyers and sellers can really examine that when you're talking about a record high in the average concession, you, you said it, but I just want to draw a big, bold underline underneath what you said,
0: what is the current concession? Yeah. It's, it just hit $7,000 on average for the month of November. Now we're only three days into November, yeah. but as of today, the average of all, all homes sold over the last three days Uh, Include $7,000 worth of concessions provided by the seller to the buyer for some reason.
1: Yeah. So this is a really powerful thing to dig into because there's really two ways to negotiate and buyers don't understand this, nor do sellers. They don't understand it well enough. Everybody's always thinking about price. Let's see if we can get a lower price as a buyer and a higher price as a seller. And look, that's a useful way to approach the market, but it's just not the entirety of how you get a deal done. What is more important, in fact, is how you can help the buyer who's purchasing your home consume that home through monthly payment in a way that's more compelling for them. So in other words, if you can help somebody um, lower their payment substantially as a seller, you're gonna help the buyer much, much more than if you just simply knock the purchase price off. So and these interest rates, you know, you knock the purchase price down, I don't know, twenty thousand bucks. That is going to help for sure. If you take 15,000 of that and you use it to start buying down interest rates and create permanent buy downs or temporary buy downs or whatever approach you feel like is best for your buyer, you're actually probably going to move the needle on the reduction in interest rate by giving them a lower payment. You're probably going to give them a lower payment by moving interest rate than you are by moving purchase price. Okay. And this is something people need to understand. And so if you're a buyer or a seller out there right now, think concessions first um, because concessions go right to your closing costs. They pay for things like your tax or insurance escrows. They can pay for your closing costs. They can pay for appraisals, title fees. They can uh, pay for your uh, lender fee. And also, very importantly, they can buy discount fees to reduce your loan amount or your loan interest rate so that you can get the best uh, possible scenario after closing. Um, now, once you've done that and there, if there's still more room to negotiate, then great. Let's negotiate price down. Let's try to you know make some of those concessions work. But we want people to understand this is a great way for you to take advantage of the current marketplace today. This can help sellers preserve their bottom line by offering more concession. You can often uh, eliminate the need or desire to reduce the purchase price, and that helps sellers. Also helps buyers because it allows them to, again,
0: lower that payment. So that's really powerful environment. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm going to get these numbers wrong. So now I'm just making these up and I'm actually really tired today. So mm. uh, I'm not going to be anywhere close, but let's mm. say you have a buyer who is determined that they can qualify for and are comfortable with the payments on a $700,000 property. One of the ways that this concept may potentially contribute to buyers buying the home that they really want to purchase is rather than buying the $700,000 property at today's prevailing interest rates, You might be able to look at a $900,000 property get a big concession from that seller, buy down the interest rates and have the same payment that you would have had on the $700,000 property Mm -hmm. increases your purchasing power fairly substantially based on the monthly payment comfort. So I, I, you know, you got to work with a lender and really run through those numbers and do a financial analysis and make sure that that's best for your family long-term. Right. But uh, it's a really powerful concept that I think is missed mostly because most of the, the, the real estate agents in this industry are very part-time and they mm-hmm. don't think about this sort of thing and they don't investigate and they're not peeling back the layers of how do they really serve consumers and really act as a consultant. Yep. And, um, and so as a, as a home buyer, as a home seller, just make sure that you are working with somebody who is a highly proficient expert at this industry because they can help save you hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and really make phenomenal long-term decisions and what's best for you and your family. I think that's well said. All right. Uh, Oh, go ahead. Interest rates. Yeah. So interest rates. Yeah. So interest rates went really, really high over the last few weeks. Curious what you think that's driven by. Which, by the way, the last podcast that you and I did was was about thirty days ago, Mm -hmm. just a couple days before Israel was was attacked by Hamas. Yeah. Um, And you had talked about a black black swan event. Mm -hmm. That black swan event looks like it may be actually coming to fruition. Just Mm -hmm. encourage everybody, um, go listen to that episode as well. We're going to repeat some of the same things we talk about today, but. There may be some interesting perspective in there, given that we talked about that actually before more geopolitical disruption over the last couple of weeks, we've seen interest rates really bump up. Mm -hmm. I'm curious both, um, why that is without getting too technical, why that is, and then what's happened this week, because they've come down as rapidly as I've seen in probably two decades. Yeah. Well, I think it's safe to say this is probably one of the most
1: volatile weeks on the bond market. Um, certainly in, in my memory, uh, I have not pulled charts back to figure out when the last time we saw this much movement occur. But just to summarize for everybody, you know if you coming out of the end of last week, coming out of, you know, call it the end of October roughly, you were looking at um, interest rates in treasury bills, the T the, uh, bill. Uh, that were approaching 5% and approaching it very, very quickly. And in fact, very briefly went over 5% and then immediately traded back below that, that resulted in much higher consumer rates, mortgage rates, credit card rates, everywhere else. Um, and w- we can talk about why that happened. But before I do, I want to circle back to how now we are just a week later, not even quite a week later. And in this interim week, in just three to four business days, we've actually seen that same bond market pull back about 50 basis points back down into about the mid four fours. Area. I think as we're uh, speaking today, last I looked just moments ago, it was trading still just above 4.55, which is going to be a serious level of support. And it'll be interesting to watch what happens. It's too early to call this a reversal. This is not a policy reversal. It's not a reversal in sentiment yet. But I do think it's interesting to recognize that the pullback, the drop came really as a result of the jobs report. Mm. And the jobs report was substantially different or meaningfully different um, than what many expected it to be in terms of unemployment uh, in the marketplace. It seems to me um, that when we look at a number of different inputs from the bond market, geopolitical inputs that we've talked about before, black swans, wars, uh, foreign settlements through what we call the euro dollar process or the petrodollar process, all of these things coming together – Really seem to indicate, I think, a couple of things. And again, I admit it's probably a little early to have a real take. And so I say this with humility: I, I, these aren't. This is by no means a prediction. Um, just a couple days into a move like this, but one thing I will say is, it seems to me, uh, as bonds are pulling back and uh, as we see the S and P rising, in fact, that all of this indicates a kind of. Um, what would you call it? Like a hedonic adaptation. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that people are starting to get used to the temperature of the water that we're living in. And uh, you know, we've got the old adage of how do you boil a frog? You can't just throw them in the boiling water. They'll jump right out. But if you heat it up over time, there are things that seem to sort of shock the system and the system will react by, for instance, causing bonds to go up towards the 5% range. Uh, quickly, precipitously, and then immediately pull back. The system starts to normalize and starts to feel like, okay, this isn't breaking anything. We can live this way. This could become our new normal. And that tends to bring people back into just a kind of a state of mind that says, look, I think we can still navigate this. I still believe there is a lot of importance in considering the geopolitical landscape um, the, the international settlements landscape as well, because those two are, are very much participating in the current uh, bond structures we have. But I am starting to see people going, look, maybe it's time to be buying these bonds and, and consumers are starting to purchase these bonds. Investors are starting to buy them. And as they buy them, that tends to—that's what's pulling the bond supply off the market and signaling that it's not necessary to be increasing interest rates any further. So we'll we'll be watching what happens uh, with bond makers and and the price of particularly of the T bill and then all subsequent
0: bills. Now we uh, let's let's explain that real quickly because it, it, it seems to be just on its face counterintuitive mm-hmm. to a supply demand mm-hmm. equation. Mm-hmm. You're saying that more people are buying T-bills and as a result, prices are actually coming down. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So just explain that real quickly. I think this is really important for the consumer to understand.
1: Yeah. I'm going to put this very much in layman's terms. So I I will be skipping some nuance as I explain this, but I think it's helpful to think about this in a supply-demand construct. As the U.S. government is trying to finance its debts and obligations, it creates bonds, which is a promise to, uh, if someone will give them money today, that they will pay back tomorrow with an interest rate. That's what a bond is. Now, a long-term pledge from the government is called a bond. A short-term pledge from the government is called a bill. So that's why you sometimes hear us use the phrase bond market or T bills interchangeably. T bill of course stands for treasury bill. And when we're looking at this marketplace, What Uncle Sam is always trying to do is get as much of its debt sold. That is, they're trying to make as much money as possible today and sell everything they need to cover their needs. So think about it this way. If Uncle Sam needs a million dollars – and I think we'd all be very happy if Uncle Sam only needed a million dollars. That's a million dollars a second. A second, yeah. yeah. If Uncle Sam needed a million dollars today, they'd go out to all consumers and the entire international market. So everybody on earth, they'd say, hey – if if everyone on earth will give us $1 million today, we will give you back 1 million plus 5% tomorrow. And that's the pitch there's that the bond market is essentially making. Well, as you can imagine, if nobody wants to buy that, if they come out and say, hey, we'll give you a 5% on a million bucks today, and they hear crickets, what are they going to do? They actually have to, because there's no demand for the T bill, they actually have to increase the interest rate. So now instead of offering 5%, they've got to say, okay, how about 6%? Well, now a couple people are interested. Okay, how about 7%? Now lots of people are interested. So the United States government is always looking for the lowest interest rate it can sell its debt at. Meanwhile, consumers are always looking for the highest interest they can earn on their investments. So it's the relationship between what the T-bills are being sold for and what the bond market will buy that actually settles out in terms of the interest rate. Now, as I said, there's also policy inputs and a number of sort of financial complexities, including options and things that I'm leaving out of this explanation. But for our purposes, that's a really helpful way to think about the bond market. If interest rates are going up when there's too many bonds... There are too many offerings for too much debt. They can't get it sold. So they start moving up interest rates to entice people to buy more. So what did we see this week? Well, what we saw this week is a strange job report or an unexpected jobs report. And that unexpected jobs report seemed to create an environment sufficient to make bonds buyers feel comfortable buying bonds at lower rates. They started saying, you know what? Well, maybe I don't need five. I'll do it at four and a half. and And they're sort of now bidding down. One guy will do it at 4.75 and the next guy 4.625, the next guy four and a half. And they're kind of moving one another down as they're buying up.
0: Available bonds. With the implication being that the the jobs market was indicative of economic instability. That's right. And so people are seeking safety in the most guaranteed form of return on investment, which is these treasury bonds. That's exactly right. So
1: people are saying to themselves, well, rather than needing a really high rate of return, I would rather just have some rate of return. And that is a kind of return to normalcy. That's what I'm calling that sort of hedonic adaptation. That's normally been the function of the bond market throughout the last 40 years. Um, folks may have heard the phrase flight to security where investors will say, boy, if something scary is happening, I'm going to sell my stocks and buy bonds to protect myself. This seems to be an indication that that dynamic may be kicking back into play and bonds are again starting to be seen as... Uh, the right place to park money for the long term.
0: Now, relative for for our new listeners, um tie that back real quickly to what does that mean for interest rates so as yeah. as treasury bonds are declining, why does that impact interest rates? Yeah. good question. And then ultimately what does that mean for the housing market and what we're, you know, that that's that's just a guess for us. Of yeah. What does that mean for buyer activity? appreciation, home values, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So it's such an important question to understand. And really what this dynamic is getting at is that if instability is seen and people begin to start buying bonds and it lowers the T bill by lowering T bills, you're lowering the base bill for all consumer interest rates. So anybody who's trying to get a return on investment will have to find some baseline to determine, well, what's, what's the starting point? Well, The starting point is considered to be the American treasury bills market. So when you're buying a bond from the U.S. government, you're buying what we call the risk-free rate of return. In other words, you're guaranteed to get that returned back to you. And so if that's the case, every bond above that must have more risk because it can't guarantee 100% you're going to get paid back. So the next safest kind of um, bond you can buy is a mortgage-backed securities bond. It's the mortgages. The, the mortgage payments that people make, it's pretty rare that those go under in any significant way. And even when they do, Uncle Sam has tended in the past to backstop those. So a mortgage interest rates tend to be just slightly higher than bonds are. So when bonds are at five, you know, T-bills going to five is what pushed the mortgages to eight. Well, now that they're back at four and a half not surprisingly mortgage interest rates are about seven and a half today and so uh, and credit cards and unsecured lines and everything else is doing the same thing they're all sort of rising and falling on that basic level that is the bond market
0: one and I know this is maybe a little bit too much inside baseball but I encourage the consumer to hear this question if I can articulate it well and then really hear Adam's answer historically the spread between mm-hmm. the, um, the 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 bond rate, let's say it's at four and a half percent and the mortgage back security or the interest rate for, for a residential mortgage Mm -hmm. would be 150 to 200 basis points. Meaning if we were at four and a half on the bond today, we'd be somewhere around six, maybe six and a half as the mortgage interest rate or four and a half on the bond today. And we're at seven and a half, Mm -hmm. seven and three quarters on a 30 year fixed interest rate. Why that um, additional spread and are there conditions that you can see that would cause that spread to come down such that even if um, bond rates don't drop even further, Mm -hmm. that we may see a further decline of interest rates? Really
1: good question. The difference between the bond and mortgage spread is not normal today. It is just as you pointed out, normally it's one and a half to two percent spread. So just as you said, four and a half percent would typically yield an interest rate on consumer mortgages at six or six and a half percent. So, why are we at seven and a half percent? The reason is just the same dynamic I had explained earlier. It's actually a function of risk. So, just as Uncle Sam goes out to the global markets and says, hey, we have some debt we'd like to sell. And they offer that, let's again, say it's a million bucks and they offer it at 5% and they hear crickets. No one's interested. Okay. Well, why is no one interested? There can be lots of reasons. No one has any money. Everybody has money, but they can do better than the 5% without much risk. Everybody has money, but they're too scared to put it in. Uh, There can be lots of things that are doing that. Well, Those complexities are multiplied in the mortgage market. Because mortgages are not guaranteed in the same way the T-bills market is. By the way, there are markets that are worse above the mortgage markets. There are um, unsecured debts. There are corporate junk bonds. There are all kinds of bonds. Um, and then there's a whole rating system to measure how good bonds are, AAA all the way down to junk, um, that can sort of indicate how much risk that is How likely are you to get paid back? So when consumers are making a decision between buying a mortgage-backed security or buying a T-bill, what they're asking themselves is, should I buy the T-bill and guarantee myself five or should I buy the mortgage and maybe I lose some or all of my money? Well, because consumers feel like there's risk in the marketplace, they're less interested in mortgage-backed securities and more interested in T-bills. So mortgage-backed securities have to get in a little bit better shape. They got to get back into the gym and they got to kind of improve the way they look a little bit. The way they do that is increase the interest rate. And it's by increasing interest rates that they tend to draw in more investors.
0: Is there also the the potential for some good news in there that – The market is actually anticipating that interest rates are going to decline. And that's why there's an additional spread in there because it's not actually profitable for an investor to be purchasing these mortgage-backed securities without making some money in the short term in anticipation of rates dropping and people refinancing out of those mortgages.
1: Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, It does add an additional dynamic, um, which is a duration dynamic and and might muddy our conversation too much, but you're exactly right to say – there's risk in all kinds of forms sitting inside the mortgage-backed security. And it's not just that I might not get paid back. It's that I might get paid back too early. So I, I – you know, bought your bond. I, I gave you a million bucks. You're paying me 7% and I'm really happy with my 7% and you pay me that for six months and then pay me off. Well, now I'm not feeling as good about it. That means I only got a 3% rate of return over this year, unless I redeploy those funds right away. So I'm not as feeling, I'm not feeling as good about my return if it pays off too early. So you're exactly right. And there are a number of other kinds of risks that can live inside that mortgage-backed security pool. But That basic dynamic is what causes that spread to be bigger. And I do think it's fair to say that that spread is bigger and thicker than it normally is. And how long will it stay that way? Well, a couple things we should understand. Number one, it is unlikely to stay that much bigger for that much longer. And the reason is because we're in that inertial period you and I have described. We're in that kind of stuck market, that immovable object versus that unstoppable force we're kind of stuck and that stuckness won't last for long. Eventually the market is going to pick a direction and people are going to be able to anticipate what bonds will do. And when that happens, the spread will narrow again
0: because pricing, there'll be more
1: pricing information and people will make better choices. Yeah.
0: I guess for maybe for the consumer, for those of you that have um, listened all the way through this, you know, that we, we, Geek out on this stuff. It's yeah. uh, it, it really is the the stuff that makes this economy move, mm-hmm. and it's the it's what makes us and our, our our teams the experts at what's actually happening in real estate and how to guide people appropriately. And I think as we wrap this up, the um, you know our conclusions are not markedly different, if mm-hmm. at all, from what they have been over the last few months. And and let me take a stab at it, and then add anything to it or correct anything that you disagree with. Love it that, we're, we're in a market right now where we don't see a crash built into the numbers. And in fact, what we see is continued stability and likely appreciation for next year as a result of uh, volume that is going to remain pretty low and buyer activity that has demonstrated that they're going to remain at about this level, if not a little bit higher. Now, mm-hmm. if interest rates bump up, we're going to see a bunch of buyer activity and we're going to see a bunch of home value appreciation as a buyer today. You want to make sure that you have pretty good job security. So you Mm -hmm. should be taking a look at your industry and there's all kinds of forces that are impacting industries right now, but some job security. You want to make sure that after you purchase your home, you have at least six months in reserves, Mm -hmm. um, maybe in this market, even a little bit more. And that means just some capital in reserve to be able to pay your mortgage payment and all your other debts and and kids daycare and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, the, the third is that you're just comfortable with your payment. Um, And you should be comfortable with the payment as it exists today based on today's interest rates. Now, again, as we talked about earlier, you might be able to get the seller to... Uh, to pay down that interest rate, but you should just be comfortable with whatever your starting payment is today. Mm-hmm. Not hoping for, or only being able to be on the razor's edge of affording that property and hoping that you can refinance six or 12 months down the road. Now, if that comes, if that refinance opportunity comes, then great. There's two things that are going to happen for you. One, you're going to be really glad that you bought today because you're going to be receive the benefit of the home value appreciation that's going to occur as a result of the surge of buyer activity from lower interest rates. Yeah. and you just get to refinance. What else would you add to that? Well, I think that that's timeless
1: advice. I don't think I'd add anything to the advice itself for buyer. I think the only other thing I would say is that people really need to consider that um, the advice from the talking heads for about the last eight years has been wait. And I just want to tell you they're wrong. They've been consistently wrong. And I understand, I don't even blame anybody for taking that advice. You see these highly credible figures and they're speaking so confidently and yet they seem to have no idea what's going to happen. And I think this is part of why you and I have been able to be right because we're not looking at what the talking heads say. We're looking at what the plumbing is doing. What's the plumbing of the economy doing? So Here's one thing I think we can help with regard to prediction. It's not a market we can make strong predictions in, as we've said. But one thing I can say, and I want to continue to reiterate, is that you and I will have a directional signal when we understand what's going to happen with things like unemployment or what is going to happen with, again, those geopolitical forces. Um, If we start to see something that requires of the – treasury department or the fed or both that they take joint action in some aspect of the economy you can expect rates to fall and so you don't even need to wait for your next market matters podcast if you see world war three breaks out there's a good chance interest rates are going to fall in that scenario and it has to be you know serious and kinetic and official and and not just we think it's going to happen no you, you need to have seen it happen something that would really you know archduke ferdinand type um
0: stuff happening. That's a, it's really unfortunate how obscure that reference <laughs> is today, isn't it? Everybody should know that it is. Go yeah. look it up guys. Yeah. It's uh, Franz Ferdinand
1: is not just a cool band. <laughs> Go check them out. Um, but it, yeah, so that would be, you know, people ask us, okay, so if you don't have a clear pr- prediction, can you predict what would give you the information to make a prediction? So my prediction prediction Is if we entered a market where, again, major black swan comes to fruition, you're probably going to see rates drop. By then, you're going to wish you have already bought a house um, because – that's going to jam demand through the roof.
0: Now I I know we're running a little bit long on time, but I feel like this is a really important point that you're making the prediction prediction, uh, which is the black Swan event. We just had Yemen declare war on Israel Mm -hmm. um, just what in the last three days, I think Hezbollah just declared war on the United States officially today. Um, And I, I, I don't, know that that's a major concern for anybody other than how are we going to respond? How's the United States going to respond? And, um, what of, the The various forces, terrorist forces from the Middle East actually exist in the United States today and what might happen in the United States. So here's the question though. Let's say some terrorist attack in the United States and the US decides to go to war. What you're saying is m- the most likely reaction, policy reaction is that interest rates actually end up declining mm-hmm. fairly markedly. And that rather than being afraid of those conditions, and let me be clear, we're not suggesting that we are looking forward to those conditions, but rather than being afraid of those conditions with respect to the real estate market and interest rates that we actually see likely more activity in the real estate marketplace because interest rates drop because of an event like that, which actually drives appreciation. That's what you're saying.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's um, again, yes. Are these sad and terrible things? Yes, they are. And yet people need to understand how that would affect their every day. It might affect their every day in some other negative ways. Yeah. Jobs or what have you. That's right. But I think it's helpful for people to understand that when the United States fires up the war machine, That does require an all-hands-on-deck kind of approach. Um, It does tend to increase productivity in the United States. It certainly has in the past, and it does increase spending. Now, that makes inflation a problem. People will say, well, Adam, the – productivity uh or policymakers can't do that cuz inflation will increase. Actually in that scenario it doesn't increase. And that's because the productive function of the economy outstrips the inflation itself and we've got lots and lots of um data on on this. So uh, uh, again this would be a horrible thing to see happen. Um it, it the reason we're bringing it up is because it's filling the headlines now, it's on people's minds and what we're hearing from people is well if world war 3 is going to break out I want to wait. And we're asking the question, listen, if we're not trying to get you to buy a house, but if you're already going to buy a house and World War three breaks out, the cheapest that house is going to be is right now. Um, And so you need to move forward in that way today. Again, assuming the other things you said, you've got reserves, you've got a comfortable monthly payment, you know, you've got a job that you believe is stable um but all of while those forces tend to be disruptive they also tend to be very focusing forces so the disruption in our nation tends to be 2 3 weeks and then everybody's kind of focused on what to do next and really you start to see the the productivity function
0: of the economy rise yeah the and the one other thing I, I neglected to say was that um make sure as a buyer that you're buying for the long term yes. right now as well. I, right. This is not a market to be that there's so many variables that as Adam and I are saying, we cannot predict. We don't know where the economy is going, and we don't know where the world's going right now. And at the same time, uh if you are buying for the long term, there has never been since the Great Depression more than a two year period of time of a decline of value in mm-hmm. real estate. So if you're gonna hold on to your real estate for at least three or four years, you're History would at least say you're going to be just yeah. fine. So make sure that you're buying for the long term. Yeah. I, I think we should wrap this up by Let's saying here we are November third. Well, you know this is going to be distributed here in the next couple of days, but we won't do our next podcast until early December. So mm. um, we certainly hope everybody stays safe and that you enjoy yes. the beginning of the uh, the holiday seasons. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. That's right. And uh, we will talk to you in a month. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Let's play